Welcome to the latest episode of Cyberbytes, the podcast. I'm Oliver Legg, the co-founder of Aspiron Search, and today I welcome Robin Bertier, the co-founder and CEO of OT security firm Network Perception. Having founded the company out of his PhD research project, Robin shares his unique journey from academia to now running a VC-backed, commercially orientated cybersecurity business. Well, absolutely buzzing to have you on the show, Robin, from, uh, from Network Perception. How's things? Things are, are, are well. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to uh, be discussing with you today. Yeah, yeah, pleasure. Uh, you're just back from visiting family back in France, I hear. That's right. I uh, try to go there like twice a year, usually at Christmas time in summer. So just came back from my uh, uh, a bit of summer vacation, seeing my, my family and then enjoying the hometown and, and comfort food and, you know, all the good things that you grew up with that you're missing when you're living on the other side of the, uh, of the Atlantic. You can't beat, uh, beat mum's food, especially, uh, especially exactly. French as well. Exactly. And Chicago is normally home for, for you and network perception, right? Correct. Yeah. I moved to Chicago in 2017. So I've been there for six years um, and really scaled and, and built most of the business here in, in Chicago, which is a great place to be in terms of, you know, the centralization and access to, all major cities and pretty short flight. Uh, so, so liking it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, given all the, all the work that we did together uh, in 2022, I've been, been mm-hmm. really looking forward to this episode. So really keen to, you've got a, a very unique and an interesting story and in how you personally got to where you are now leading a, a, a 50 odd person series A security business so really keen to go right back to where it all began and uh yeah what's what's the what's the story of how you got to this point from the the very beginning yeah so um well i was always you know developing a passion for computers and specifically how to break things and prevent them from being broken by other people so really cyber security was a natural field for me to explore um when I was doing grad school, uh, so went to University of Maryland to do a a PhD on on the topic of honeypots. Uh, we were deploying hundreds, if not thousands, of uh, virtual, you know, honeypot computers ready to be uh, to be hacked. And for every new activity we were collecting, you know, following along step by step to understand attack techniques and and then you know publish papers to inform the industry on how to best uh, defend themselves. And, and really, back then in 2008, 2010, it was a big move to uh, transition from a, a qualitative uh, view of cybersecurity to a, a quantitative one. So really using quantification and, and data to inform decision-making. And, and I, I love that aspect. There was such a huge green field to explore. And so I kind of tried to uh, to learn everything I could, and then um, and then moved to the Midwest uh, to do my postdoc at the University of Illinois in, in Champaign-Urbana. I joined the uh, Information Trust Institute um, at UIUC, uh, leading you know world leading center on the aspect of uh, cybersecurity for critical infrastructure. So they are. I shifted my attention from traditional IT security to more like industrial control systems and OT. And that's where, you know, I was in charge of a couple of projects to 
really build a next generation of solutions uh, specifically for the electric industry. Um, and, and that's, you know, the technology that came from the University of Illinois really was the, the root of, of network perception and the product we have today. Um, so, you know, the, the thing that was really different from the traditional research project I was used to uh, was the opportunity to partner with the industry from day one. Like usually, you know, you, you have uh, a research project with a grant and then you work on it for a few years, you publish a few papers and then you try to find partners to get you some feedback. Uh, over there, it was, it was the opposite. Like, like we had to have partners aligned in order to move forward uh, with uh, the research that was funded by DOE and, and DHS. And so we work closely with the regulators in the uh, electric space NERC. We work closely with uh, small, medium, and large uh, power utilities in the Midwest and beyond, uh, companies like Emren and, and Comet and First Energy. And you know the feedback we got from the early days of the prototype we were developing to better visualize and verify OT networks was, was really outstanding. So we decided to um, rather than you know move to the next research project, publish other more papers, we, we decided to branch out of the lab and and you know work with the Office of Technology Management at the university to to incorporate um, a structure that could best you know help us to maintain and develop that technology in the long term. Mm. Yeah, awesome. And so when you started out on that research project, did you have any remote idea that it would stem into a, a VC backed business or did that just, did it just happen uh, without, without any prior planning when you, when you set out on the, on the, on the paper? Yeah, we, we really, you know, on the, we went as we, we, we decided those, those, you know, key steps as we went, like there was no um, initial plan to, you know, grow to the size we are today. Um, but I remember, you know, when you apply for a grant from NSF or another um, agency, they ask you for a document called the, um, you know, societal impact. And so I remember with with the team I was working with, really working on the two-pager to see, you know, what would be the societal impact of, of, of that research and the technology we were developing. And it was interesting because it really drove a lot of the decisions I made much later, um, driven by the, you know, the, the the mission to really have a that positive impact, to really, you know, move the needle in the right direction, in order to to better protect this, the you know, critical infrastructure. So, mm -hmm. then later when the decision was, you know, came to us to, to you know, raise some some funding to uh, to grow and, and put some more infrastructure in place. That was kind of a natural step, you know, aligned with that initial mission we set for ourselves when we, uh, when we launched the project. Yeah. And was that the moment where you thought, ah, we've, we've got something here. We've got something that can have a real impact right. more than just a research project. Yeah. I mean, I remember the, um, beyond the feedback that you get in, you know, like research calls, to then transition to a commercial, uh, you know, uh, relationship with with your partners, and uh, you know, setting the first license to the software is really, uh, you know, a core validation for us. And and then yeah, you, you know, you have, 
it, it's like you're driving the research for the first few years and then it, it takes off and then it, it drives you. Like it really, um, you know, it's a force that, that keeps going forward and then you have to make sure that you keep it in the right direction. But uh, the momentum is uh, developing uh, over the years. That, that's pretty exciting. Yeah. And keen to come back to what you said about like the first proposals and the first commercials, because that, that'll be really interesting to, to touch on. But, mm-hmm. but before we do that, so what, what happened next then? So you've got, you've got some, uh, I, I assume a relatively small amount of money in the grants in the grand scheme. Right. Um, kind of how, how much did you get? How did you deploy it? What, what, what happened next? Yeah. So we got a um, SBIR from an SF for a short of a million dollars, so like around 900 K. And then that, uh, supported us for a couple of years, you know, a few developers and myself to refactor the the prototype that was, you know, aggregation of code from different uh, students and researchers at the university. So refactored that into a, you know, building our first uh, product. And then back then we were incubated at the uh, research park at the University of Illinois, which is, mm-hmm. you know, fantastic um, location to have access to key resources around, you know, financial help, legal help. Even you know the design of the logo and 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 mentors you know you're meeting uh, entrepreneur in residence who are helping you to you know think through the challenges and and step by step you know build your business. So so we stayed there for for a few years. We graduated from the uh, the incubator and then moved to Chicago from Champaign and then uh, 2017 and then that's really where you know we 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 you know transitioned from a you know technology centric uh, company to a more mature uh, business where you have, you know, you're investing in client success and you're investing in in uh, in marketing and, and, and different aspects to really have something that, that can impact the marketplace. So, you know, bootstrap for a few years, then, uh, then the momentum growing, uh, we raised our first uh, round of funding, a seed run in 2020, uh, 2.7 million. And then we, uh, that was really successful. So we we grew really fast uh, the the following year, and then raised our Series A last year for for thirteen million. And and you know it's 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 for me it's extremely exciting to see you know the company just changing drastically from one year to the next, and then the impact we're having is 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 just growing. Um, but yeah, I mean the first. Uh, you know, back to the uh, the, the roots of of the project i think what was really interesting to me personally in in you know spending time on this and and really dedicating uh, my energy to that project was uh, you know the passion i have for one for cybersecurity but also for the way we visualize information and the way we develop you know highly usable uh, solutions um, i think there's a just a huge gap in the industry today regarding, um, you know, very technical software that are put in the hand of, um, you know, practitioners on the IT and the OT side. Mm-hmm. Um, but the level of expertise you need to have and then the the complexity of those user interfaces makes it quite challenging when you have a busy, you know, busy workday to you know start a process and operationalize the solution so i think a key to our success and, and really what what has been driving my um 
you know, but my, the, the, the way I'm thinking about it has been the, you know, how to combine, you know, the best of usability so that we, we develop a solution that, that doesn't add a burden to the practitioner, to the users. Like they have, especially in OT, right? They have such a, you know, a, a strong requirements to keep the machine running. They have, you know, priorities around safety and 24-7 operation. If you add something uh, that will prevent them from achieving this, that that won't work. And I think that's why we're so uh, lagging behind the rest of the world in terms of protecting our, our the rest of the the, you know, the IT space in, in protecting our you know most critical assets. So one of the reasons I, we've always been so passionate about recruiting into the OT space is just how it's not just a case of oh like people might lose some money. It's right. a case of no like if someone messes up. Or if yep. someone gets into this system, like people can yep. die, um, tens of thousands of people can die. So it's a much exactly. more mission-driven industry, uh, yep. which uh, which which is which is yeah huge. And in the world of UX, you know, you you tend to optimize for your normal users, and there's a term called extreme users. So you know, you have the bulk of your users who are like, you know, following a a specific path to get to a task inside your your application mm-hmm. but then you have extreme users who have like like constraints and, and need to you know, take into account some specific usability aspect and so in the world of ot we tend to have much more like of those extreme users because again to, to your point like they have uh, such a pressure to remain compliant like you go to a power station there's just you cannot walk 10 feet without having some compliance rule to, you know, to pay attention to, uh, and then the pressure of, of cyber attacks. And so, uh, that's really what, what's exciting to me, like how to bring complex data in an extremely, uh, you know, intuitive way, like, like, like simple and, and simple doesn't mean, you know, too simple. It means like really getting to the essence of something so that we can, uh, give users what they need to make good decisions and, and fast and so that's uh, that's been our driver yeah yeah awesome um and so rewinding to so you got the 900 something thousand dollar grant um mm-hmm. you then got your 2.7 mil seed round um what what size were you when the seed money landed I think we were about a dozen, like between twelve and fifteen people. And and who? So beyond you and your 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 co-founder, who 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 did you have from like a commercial perspective at that stage? Yeah. So back in uh, you know the incubator at the University of Illinois, I met uh, Ted Green, who was mm-hmm. you know tremendous experience, you know, building um, startups and technology uh, companies, and so him and I really, you know were really aligned in, in terms of, um, of of building network perception. So he, he brought the expertise on the business side that I, I just had zero expertise there. So it was a really a good uh, combination for uh, him and I to work together. So he's, he's our CEO and, and he's been driving yeah, the, the, the commercial side of, of the company. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, we're we're at a completely different scale to you guys, but like we were when me and Joe launched Asperon, we were we were great recruiters, but had no idea about the business side. So that that was the biggest learning curve for us. Um, yeah. So, 
I guess the difference is we we'd been exposed to a, a commercial business. Um, we were yep. selling, we were uh, we were generating revenue. Whereas you you'd come from academia, that's like two completely different worlds. So yeah, how how did you adjust from academia uh, doing research to then having millions of dollars in the bank, uh, building commercial teams, and then growing to, am I right in saying about 40 people when your Series A landed? Correct. Yep. So how how did how did that go? Because I can imagine there were some pretty crazy challenges <laughs> to overcome. Yeah, I mean, I have a you know, fantastic team of co-founders. So I never felt, you know, often you say, okay, the, the, the CEO feels really lonely, like in terms of making those decisions and having to, to navigate through those challenges. That's never something I felt because I really have a, a great, a sense of support and and uh, with the team of co-founder from the university and then and then the people we uh, you know we would join the the adventure so um but personally yeah i was on track you know back at u of i i was on track to you know stay in academia like i was actually applying for positions at other universities to you know mm-hmm. try to be to become a professor one day and then um and then this project came along and so you know it was a moment in my life where I had the uh, you know the, the freedom and the the really the the desire for the for this you know mission impact driven, and so um, you know it's like everything else like you you just immerse yourself and and learn as as much as you can. Uh, you're making mistakes along the way. Uh, you know if I look back, you know some some ways we developed the business took way longer than I expected. You know it's funny like I go back to. Um, the commercial plan that we wrote in 2016 or 2015 and then you just see like where you think the business will be in 2020 and and of course it's nowhere that you know you you have financial projection that are just completely off track and so you're you know you're you're learning and and you uh uh you know the keys is to remain agile you know make mistake fast and then learn from them and then and then move on um can you but give any, a, a any specific examples of, of of moments where you were thinking, "Cool, I'm almost feel out of my depth here," and and kind of how you how you overcame that? Yes, I think um, you know for the longest time we didn't have any strong um, client success function, mm-hmm. and you know that that means that you don't establish a continuous dialogue with with your customers you're kind of um i was approaching it more from a self-service uh you know angle where i say okay let's put the software on our internal portal let's you know sell licenses so that you know users can get their license key go to a portal and then download the software get started and use it without talking to anyone and i think that slowed us down because um there's just a ton of learning in terms of use cases. And, you know, when you build a company, which is something that's um, for us was, was a challenge coming from academia, you have at some point to transition from a, you know, technology centric, um, you know, venture to a, a user centric or business centric uh, organization. And that, means to translate your technical use cases 
into business use cases. You know, mm-hmm. no one is buying a software just to buy a software. Like they buy a software to, you know, for, for a specific outcome. So they want to accomplish, uh, you know, they have an objective to accomplish. And so if you don't solve that objective, regardless, you know, how impressive your application is, um, it won't, you know, it won't provide the value that they are, they're looking for. And then you, you know, you're going to sell a few licenses, you have early adopters, but then, uh, you know, then it won't, um, they won't renew or you, you would just want, uh, you make a market in the, in the market. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and so you're now, what, a year and a half on from your series A. Um, yep. So what what are the what are the challenges you're now facing as a a, a business that is yeah a, a eighteen months on from Series A the, the the market is not what it was last year um, right or or the year before that um kind of how how are you tackling those challenges? Yeah, so you know if I look back and kind of um segment our journey into you know, key phases, we had the, you know, the very early phase of building a product from the prototype, you know, that was at the, you know, at the incubator. And then we had, you know, the, the second phase of establishing product market fit, you know, showing that you can sell, uh, commercialize, you know, the technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really what was the, uh, the series seed, you know, for, mm-hmm. and then, and then once you we accomplish, accomplish that, then the, the next phase is, is the you know selling at scale, like how to scale a go-to-market strategy, um, and also scale your your product because it's you know one thing to be you know to have a solution that works for a few uh, hundred users, but it's a different ballgame to to build something that that needs to work you know twenty four seven with uh, you know production requirement like industry grade. Uh, quality for thousands of users or tens of thousands of users. Um, so, you know, with the uh, the A round, you know, our goal is to, you know, achieve that scalability both on the technology side as well as the the go to market uh, side. So, you know, I would say we are still in the first half of that of that phase. So I expect, you know, another, I would say, yeah. 12 to, to 18 months before we we reach that you know the, the next phase of of uh, of that journey um and for sure like the the you know external economic forces have completely changed in the last 12 months like since June 2022 so we had to adapt and then that means to uh, you know learn how organizations are now um you know, managing acquisition of software and and renewal cycles and sales cycles that are getting longer with more scrutiny, uh, budgets that are allocated differently. So there's a lot of uh, you know a lot of things we have to learn, and and that's where you know back to my point earlier on the importance of of client success. That's something we were able to do last year with the Air Grant was to really invest in a you know, best in class uh, client success team, and and so we're seeing the fruit of that now. Like it's just the quality of the conversation we're having with our uh, with our users and our partners is is just you know much greater than than a couple of years ago and you i mean from from early on you were able to build a pretty, a very large customer base um 
from 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 what my understanding was working with you last year um right yes it's kind of going back to basics and thinking well let's really maximize the people that are already working with us and already using our technology yeah i mean we were super fortunate to you know again uh, the university being able to work you know day to day from from the very early uh you know steps of the research with the regulators and the industry partners, because then you build a product that's really addressing uh, a very specific use case. So you're saving a lot of time there. And so when in 2017, we started to commercialize our solution, you know, NERC adapted our, our solution, our product and PV for conducting, you know, NERC SIP audits. And so we became very quickly the de facto solution to help the industry better visualize networks and verify compliance with you know the firewall requirement that you see in the in the SIP standard. So SIP5 and then for medium and high impact and then SIP3 for low impact. Mm-hmm. And and that really put us, you know, center stage with the industry in terms of of uh you know how lightweight we were like to adopt and to start using. Uh you know back to my point of the importance of usability for OT users, you know, having something that's turnkey and it can be deployed in a matter of, of hours. So I think that was that was a extremely important point. But yeah, to your point, we we uh, uh, we had the, the good fortune of having you know one of those good problems to have of having like kind of a, a large user base really quickly and uh, having to catch up on the business side of things to to you know, to, to maintain uh, that user base and um, make sure everyone was you know, was satisfied with our technical support with, uh, you know, all the infrastructure you can expect. And for for for, for people that are listening and, and watching but are not OT, are not familiar with the OT space, what um, mm-hmm. high level, what what is NERCSIP and how do they yeah, use so, your, your product? Good question. Um, yeah, so, so NERC is, you know, that stands for uh, North American Electrical Reliability Corporation and SIP stands for Critical Infrastructure Protection, and it's the you know earliest um, critical infrastructure dedicated standard for cybersecurity. So it was launched in two thousand eight. Uh, it has multiple standards that covers pretty much you know all areas of of cybersecurity programs. So in terms of uh, monitoring, um, uh, firewall configuration, network segmentation. Uh, patch management, uh, change management, training of your workforce, uh, you know, asset inventory. So all those aspects are covered by by NERCSIP, and and each standard goes to different versions that NERC is is uh, is publishing with the approval from I mean with the request and approval from from FERC on the federal side. So NERC is a private entity, but but FERC on the government side is you know mandating NERC to to enforce those standards, and it's a pretty unique standard because it has. You know, a pretty severe uh, punitive framework. Like, if you don't comply, you know, as as a as a electric, uh, you know, provider connected to the bulk electric system, which is you know everything above hundred thousand volts, if you don't comply with those uh, requirements, you can be fined up to one million dollar per day. So there's a huge incentive for organizations to. Um, you know, dedicate resources in order to make sure they're compliant. Mm. So it's interesting the the challenges of coming from academia and learning the commercial side, but there's this huge advantage that you've been able to 
well, yeah, really create a rocket ship that's that's been able to have a customer of the mandatory auditor of your industry. So right. it's uh, yeah, an, an impressive impressive record there. Um, and I, I mean, OT again, we we touched on earlier about it having such a a unique mission that other domains of security just don't have to the same degree. Um, yep. you, you've always talked about the the kind of better together um, side of things. So yeah, would would love to, to to hear a bit more about that as well. Sure. I mean, that's an aspect I really love about this industry is the, um, you know the you know, putting competition to the side, like really having a, a different mindset around solving a, a problem together. Like we all have the same mission, which is to protect our critical assets. So you, you, you know, your government, your 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 solution provider, your an asset owner operator, um, your consumer. We all have that you know shared goal of keeping the lights on, and that means for vendors to um, you know, again, to put competitive, you know, um, forces aside and and go into uh, partnerships and and vendor neutral solutions, uh, which is which is something I I, I really enjoy doing. Um, it's pretty unique. Like like uh, actually, when you think about the electric industry itself, and you have more than two thousand uh, independent like entities, you know, providing electricity in the U.S. You can go to the NERC website. There's a full list of registered entities, and um, and usually they don't compete because they have a territory, right? And and they have, you know, a specific set of uh, you know of, of users connected to the grid, and so they are helping each other. When you see a storm happening in you know in in Florida, you you see Comet in in Illinois just sending trucks uh, to help. Florida Power and Light to uh, to make sure that uh, facilities are you know back on because it's it's one giant machine like all that electric uh, you know grid is interconnected uh, and so that creates an environment where uh, you know the better together story is extremely important and so for us it means to uh, really have excellent relationship with an ecosystem of of other vendors and build APIs and build um, integration that makes sense and and you know be leveraged as a as a value multiplier for our OT users. You know how do always have like a one plus one equal three mindset when you you know purchase different uh, or you invest in different technologies. How to you know connect them so that you can save more time. You know, you know your 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 workforce your bandwidth is limited. So how to leverage automation and technology. Um, in a non-competitive way, like in a, in a way that that, that makes sense. Mm, yeah, no, it's uh, yeah, it, it, it's awesome, and again, it's one of the reasons we've always enjoyed the OT space is that that underlying driver for 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 what everyone's trying to achieve and trying to protect against. Um, so right. yeah, no, fantastic, and um, yeah, I mean, look, network perception now. Then, so you're uh, you're 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 killing it in the OT space, killing it in the. Uh, the the the, the NERC SIP and electric utility space. So what what should people be looking out for, and what should uh, what what should people be excited for about uh, uh, about looking out for you guys? Yeah, we have some some pretty exciting things coming up through the roadmap um, for the product. So um, you know the the technology itself is applicable beyond that that industry. I mean, this year we're we're hyper focused on the 
you know, serving the NERC industry and, and serving our current customers in, in the power electric space. Uh, but, you know, beyond this year, I think, you know, being able to expand to other uh, critical sectors um, and, and we see a, a big push from the government between the executive order and now, you know, the, 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 the initiative that just came out, you know, uh, last week uh, with the 65 initiatives to, uh, you know, implementation plan for, for those, uh, you know, for the guidelines are, are, you know, big push to align regulations and to um, start enforcing a much more consistent uh, set of rules across um, different industries. So for us at, at Network Perception, that means to also act as a force of good in terms of, of uh, you know, uh, providing automation and, you know, complex information in a way that can be uh, digested by even non-technical users uh, beyond the electric industry. Uh, so, uh, you know, in the next couple of years, like you can expect us to, you know, start, start making waves in, you know, other critical sectors. Well, it's a big market and uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's well needed. Um, so no, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Robin. It's been a, been a pleasure and uh, yeah, looking forward to, to seeing what's in store over H2 and, and 2024 for you guys. Thank you. No, thanks, Olivia. A pleasure to, uh, to discuss, to discuss. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you.